This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. At 10.30 a.m., the city declared a state of emergency due to the ongoing crisis impacting the neighborhoods of Homedale, Old West Brand, and Eagle Place. People in those areas are strongly urged to evacuate immediately. This is the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Ted Michaels sitting in for Scott tonight, and they were told to evacuate immediately. And put yourself in that situation for a moment. We are now pleased to be joined by uh, someone who was evacuated in Brantford today. Rebecca Dumay uh, joins us here on CHML. First of all, Rebecca, uh, this not meant as a flippant question. How are you and how's your family? Um, we're doing okay. We're safe. We've, um, we did leave this morning and um, we got out to St. George to my cousin Jerrica's house, who has been very, very welcoming and, and upkeeping with my family. Now, what happened this morning? I understand you were doing something that everybody does on a daily basis, and that was making your daughter's lunch for school? Absolutely. I got up like I normally do, started making the lunch, and then I got a message saying that schools were canceled due to possible flooding, and I thought it was a joke. I mean, we don't even close for for the snowstorms and stuff, so... Um, when my sister started sending me all this information and then the school called and said, no, they weren't opening due to the flooding, I was like, holy. So, so it was just uh, so, not expected at 7.30 in the morning. So how close is your home to the actual Grand River in uh, Brantford? Um, I'm over on Sheldon Street, so I'm I'm not too far from the Gilkeston area, but I'm still a decent ways away. Like, we've never, in all of the nine years that I've lived in the area, we've never been warned of flooding or to be evacuated of any reason we just seem to be that area that always gets missed of things so i was quite shocked when they had done it all the way up to princess Anne park and the surrounding areas did you have any sense maybe last night or a couple of days with the melt and the ice and we've heard about that on the the river the big ice flows and what have you did you get a sense that maybe something was amiss here you know, I thought maybe after the big snowfall that we'd had in the river, you'd seen the water levels really, really high, and there was talk about it before. I was like, yeah, maybe, but then after everything started to go down, I was like, no, it's not possible. It, it's not going to happen, you know? And then this morning, I mean, I, I had no idea going to bed last night what we were waking up to or anything. like. So um, what happened then? You said that you got the texts from uh, the people, from the authorities, that basically said you have to evacuate. What went we through were, your mind? We were we were already gone at that point um, because I had to take my husband to work for nine, and um, we we left right after that. And it took us about twenty five minutes to get over the Lauren Bridge just to leave West Branch. Um, there are people I, I know that we hear these stories all the time when uh, somebody comes, maybe, and they they knock at your door and say, "Okay, you have to leave for whatever reason." Was there ever any doubt in your mind that maybe you didn't want to leave and you wanted to stay, and if you will, ride this out? No, I'm, and that was one thing I said to my husband. I said, "You know, me, if I was an individual and I didn't have kids to think about, maybe I would have sat by and, and wrote it out." But I have a responsibility as a parent, and I need to put my children's safety first. And getting out was—they said to evacuate, so that's exactly what we did. Have you had any indication from the authorities as to maybe when uh, this evacuation order will be lifted and you can come back to your home? I had heard um, possibly Friday, but it's still until further notice. They, last I had heard um, just a few hours ago was that they were going and shutting off the hydro and the utilities in the area. So, so uh, when you come back to your home, of course, the power will be out. So there's a whole bunch. And, and I know that uh, in the bigger scheme of things, this is not uh, not that important. But there's all kinds of things to worry about, like, for example, food and what have you that you're going to probably have to uh, get rid of. 
that's definitely been going through my head. I'm like, oh crap, like I need to get home and get this stuff out of my house. But they're, they've got the bridges closed, like, and I'm, I'm not driving all the way out past, you know, out of my way to go, go home and do that stuff. So I think I'll just take my chances and deal with what's got to be dealt with when we get home. We're safe, and that's what's important right now. So you said that it took you a longer time than normal to drive over the bridge. What what did you see when you were driving over that bridge and uh, all the water and the ice flows and what have you? You could see it like so high all the way down. The walking bridges were nearly covered. Like it, it was it's a lot. And um, I was trying to be my mom calm. And then when my husband started to panic a little bit, that's when it really set in for me. And I was like, no, no, this is serious. Like. He, he thinks that it's possible it can reach our house, and, and he knows that we need to leave. So, so when my husband started to get panicky, that's when it really set in for me, driving over the bridge and looking at all of the, the ice and, and the water levels. And, and in your mind, you say you've, you've lived there nine years, and there's never been any type of a problem like this. Nope. Like Gilkeson, I mean, it's typical for that area to be the street to be closed off from point A to point B because of flooding and stuff, but never to go over and close down the Lauren Bridge and the BSAR. Like, I, I, not in the nine years that I've been there do I remember any of that ever. Because I know that there are people that are Brantford natives that have been there for a long time. They have talked about the flooding of 74. I don't know if you ever had a chance to talk to anybody about that, but that apparently is somewhat what they're what you're going through now. Did anybody ever talk about that, the, uh, the people that have lived there for a long time? Um, I did see some stuff. Um, there's a Facebook group of people who lived in Brantford, and um, there was a lot of talk on there about, about different floodings from the past and stuff. So, uh, what did you, uh, what did you pack? Like, what do you do? What do you throw in the bag? What do you save when they tell you to leave? I packed toothbrushes and toothpaste, um, changed clothes for the kids and pajamas and pajamas for myself. <laughs> what about your husband? Or is he I honest? didn't pack a single thing for him. <laughs> he went to work and I didn't pack anything for him. So, so, so what's going to happen to him now? He's going to come back in same clothes. <laughs> I mean, yep. I shouldn't laugh, but you know, it, if he's still on that side of the bridge. Right. His work is up in um, near uh, Assumption College, so he he's still on that side of the bridge. <laughs> Excellent. So um, you said maybe on Friday. Now, as far as your daughter's school, uh, what happens there? We've already been notified that they will be closed tomorrow due to the flooding. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to reopen for Friday or if we're just going to be taking the rest of the week off. So for those of us uh, that know Brantford kind of, sort of, uh, how f- uh, as people come in off the 403, for example, and they take the Wayne Gretzky Parkway or what have you, how close to that particular part of Brantford is the area that has now uh, been e- evacuated with the flooding? Um, well, Eagle Place isn't too far from there, and they've been evacuated um, but you can still get into that end of Brantford, as far as I know. There's not been any or much in the road closures in that area, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. All right. Well, we uh, wish you all the best. Rebecca Dumay, thank you for joining us. Um, I hope uh, you can get back sooner than later. Thank you for the update, and uh, hopefully um, it'll be a, a happier situation for you, maybe as early as, as this time tomorrow. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. When you go to our, our website at 900CHML.com, 
and you look at the uh, the videos of the damage that was caused and the, the rushing water and what people are going through i mean you you really it it, it really puts it all in perspective and one of the uh, more gripping things that we saw on 900 chml today uh was a video that went viral we just goes to show you when you uh, shoot something and you put it on uh, on youtube uh you never know who is going to pick it up and it involved um a drone a person went down earlier today and uh shot a video with a drone and actually we'll let him tell his story to us. Joining us uh, is the man who shot that uh, drone video. Jared Holliston joins us. Jared, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, I know it's been a it's been a very hectic and uh, exhausting and exciting day for you, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long one. Just walked in the door. We were uh, helping actually the SPCA evacuate the shelter today, so we got all the dogs and cats over there. But now we're home. Well, let's uh, before we talk about the video, let's talk about that. I understand that the uh, the SPCA in Brantford uh, was transferring all their animals uh, to the uh, Brantford Airport. Correct. That's right. So uh, I operate a company here in Brantford. We assist the SBCA on a whole bunch of calls. But so we offered uh, our uh, our crews today. So we took everybody off the road and went in and used our trucks and trailers and got all the cats, dogs, and everything shipped off out of the shelter today with some food and water and donations. And it, it was a great day. Everybody's safe. All the pets are safe. And it's been a good day. Any idea how many uh, total animals? As you say, you, you mentioned dogs and cats. I'm sure there's some rabbits and other stuff in there as well. Any idea? I think they were just over 40 cats, and I think we shipped about 25 to 28 dogs uh, out there, too, as well. Wow. Now, let's talk about this video, which, as we say, uh, is on 900CHML. It's now gone viral. It's on our globalnews.ca website. Um, it, I don't want to say it was simply a drone video, but basically it was a drone video. First of all, what possessed you to, sh- to shoot this particular video of the damage today being caused in Brantford? Well, I, I've been living in Brantford for my whole life, 38 years now, and I've never seen this happen in Brantford at all. So um, ooh, this morning I'm an amateur drone guy. I'm not very good, as you can see. I'm not very <laughs> steady with it, but... Um, just went out there, wanted to document some footage for myself and, uh, and see what the damage was and uh, see what was going on. And I put it on just on Facebook just so family and friends here in Bradford can see what's going on in their neighborhoods. And then next thing I know, my phone was lighting up. It was getting shared all over the place. And so I guess a lot of people have seen it now. When you uh, look back, and I know that, that you've watched the video, uh, what what stands out most to you about the damage that's been done by the uh, Grand River? I mean, the ice dams, and you catch a glimpse to of a glimpse of it, but the the casino being shut down, the flooding of all the parking lots, the uh, the trees getting smacked down, and and the mass amount of ice. And uh, if you're not from Brantford, you don't where that ice is damming against those bridges. Um, you know, it's typically about thirty feet down is where the river usually is. So if you, if you take that in consideration, the water levels up thirty feet. Um, all across the Grand, that's a mass amount of water to be uh, to be climbing that high throughout the Grand River watershed. When you uh, look at the drone video, and what's amazing as well as you can see the uh, the high shot, if you will, of uh, of the water, the ice flows, and then cars going over a bridge. Uh, since that's a high shot, how how close was the ice and the water to maybe uh, touching that? 
particular bridge where, where the traffic was going over. Yeah, the Lorne Bridge, uh, which is the main thoroughfare connecting the west side of Brantford to uh, the main part of Brantford, that's where you saw the bridge or the cars going over. That right after my video was shot this morning, they shut that bridge down. Um, so, I mean, that was very close. Uh, that's a very good structurally sound bridge, but the ones that were down, um, the pedestrian bridge, the old railway bridge, that's where the ice was damming. That was the real danger of breaking those bridges. But yes, it was very close, close as I've ever seen the uh, the grand rise to that part of the bridge. We uh, have heard some people talking, and I don't know if you go back this far, but people are talking about the great flood in Brantford in 1974. Have, have you had people uh, that uh, maybe lived through that, that are comparing that particular incident with what's been happening today? We, yeah, I, I mean, people talk about it, but I'll be honest, it's, uh, I was more concerned today. I was uh, not really on the phone or anything after that because I was dealing with the, the shelter, but um, now reading things on Facebook before you call, the, you know, people are talking about it. Uh, like I said, I wasn't even born there uh, during that time, but uh, growing up, parents and a lot of people said it, and uh, just a bit of talk about it right now. Now, probably after I hang up the phone and some people are coming over, we'll talk a little bit more about it tonight. When you look at the uh, video, um a couple of things jump out at me is the the actual speed of the water of the river. I know it generally doesn't go that quick, but my lord, that thing is moving quickly, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, we, you know, that's where I take my son fishing and stuff down there. And normally, it's nice and calm, and you know, some some of us go even go swimming down there. And looking at the the rushing water and the the huge lumber of logs and ice getting rolled over, it, it's. It, it, the video really doesn't do it justice for the amount of awe factor that is going on down there right now. So um, were you surprised at the amount of uh, attention that your video got? I mean, uh, our, our, our our sister station, our, our network affiliate, Global News, picked it up. It's on our website, the Global News website. Uh, are you surprised that this thing is, uh, in essence, going worldwide? Yeah, it's kind of neat. I mean, uh, Discovery picked it up, too. I guess it's going on Daily Planet this evening, too. And there's a bunch of other people that's contacted me for permission to use the video. And, I mean, it, 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 the attention's great, but it's more or less it was just to, to kind of document and show the awe factor of what's going on in our small little town of Brantford that really doesn't get on the radar very much other than for us having Wayne Gretzky around. That's our claim to fame. But, um to have the video go and people see what's going on and bringing attention to uh, the crisis we have here and, and maybe it'll bring some help and some volunteers and some donations to the people that are really affected because um, you know we see the shock and off of the river but what you don't see is the, the thousands of people that now you know uh, have water in their basement or losing you know memories or losing things and you know thank god most of them hopefully all of them are safe but um, you know, if, if if people are watching or hearing or listening now, this is just the tip of the iceberg, sort of speak. That uh, you know, it, the cleanup that after the um, the ongoing efforts to bring our city back to normal will be uh, what we're going to be focusing on soon. Well, I was going to ask, and and I know that um, you know you're not maybe the official authority to talk like this because normally we deal with the Red Cross or what have you. But uh, in your conversations and traveling with people, if people that are listening wanted to help out. The the people of Brantford and beyond. Is there anything right off the top of your head that they've mentioned that they really need? Uh, I mean, right now it's in a shelter and uh, like first responder stage where we're setting up shelters and, uh, and you know clothes and stuff for that in, in our high schools and community centers. I wouldn't be the authority on that to give advice. I would, I would highly suggest going to the City of Brantford website, contacting the mayor's office, seeing what people can do. Um, I'm just a, a civilian here in Brantford. I, I do know a lot of people, but um, 
the, the go-to person or the go-to agency. I'm unaware. I know the Red Cross, Brent United Way, and uh, the City of Brantford are always working together. So if, if anybody wants to help, please just go to the City of Brantford website, reach out uh, through the City Council, and maybe send an email and uh, or look at their blog posts and Twitter and social media, and then maybe that'll point them into the right direction where they can help out. Just before we wrap, wrap up, um, we had a guest on uh, earlier um, last hour, Rebecca Dumay. She was one of the people that had to evacuate and leave her home. She's heard maybe Friday in your conversations today when you were down helping uh, get the animals out of the SPCA and talking with people. Um, has the uh, has the water crested? Has the water level uh, gone down a bit? And what have you heard about a possible return to home for people? Well, I mean, it has gone down a tiny bit. But what we're worried about upriver, we do have another ice jam uh, in the for the Nith River as well as coming down from an ice jam in Cambridge in the air. So um, we, the, the mayor talked about it, that we might have another little rush coming in as it breaks up. Plus, we have a, apparently a freeze coming tonight that may complicate things. So, um, again, I think I think we're looking at seeing what the level is going to happen tomorrow by tomorrow afternoon, and I think the city of Brantford is going to make a call then what they can do. Wow, quite a day, and it just goes to show you. Uh, I know a lot of people want to help, and uh, and hopefully they'll they'll be able to do that. And uh, we wish certainly everybody in Brantford that's been evacuated and dealing with this our best wishes. Uh, I don't know if that means much, but we are thinking of you. Uh, Jared Holliston is the man who shot the video, which you can see at 900chml.com. Uh, don't don't be modest, Jared. You have done an awful lot to help people out, so we want to thank you for that. Uh, stay safe and send our best wishes to everybody that's affected. All right. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900chml. For the next few minutes is a man who uh, calls himself Storm Hunter. He uh, goes and, as we mentioned uh, off the top, goes and chases down bad weather and and what have you. And he's been a busy person today from the Weather Network. The Storm Hunter, Mark Robinson, joins us from the Brantford Grand River area. Mark, first of all, how are you? It's been quite a day, I assume. It's been a very long day, yeah. And uh, this river is... Probably the strongest I've ever seen it, and I've been up and down here for uh, floods at a few times. But this is uh, this is one of the worst I've seen. Now, what time did you get there this morning? Well, I've actually been sort of following it since last night. I was out in Grand Valley until very late last night, and then got down to Cambridge area around 7 a.m. And from there, I've just been sort of following the the main pulse of this river as it's as it's been sort of moving downstream. And it is just absolutely stunning, the amount of ice and debris that's in this water. Now, that's the uh, one thing that we heard earlier today. The mayor of uh, Brantford, Chris Friel on CHML News, basically told people, uh, I guess if you want to use the term tourists or people that don't live in the area, to stay away from that area because obviously it's dangerous. Uh, To what you've seen, have people heeded that call? Are they staying away? Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) I will admit that... uh, that uh, people, uh, you know, do want to come and see a phenomenon like this. Uh, some people stay respectfully away from the, you know, away from the water, take a look at it. I mean, it is quite an incredible thing to see. Uh, but there's other people that are walking down, you know, right against the water or across bridges that the police have closed. That's a bit of a problem. And, and one of the issues with that is that if you've got amazing amounts of pressure on that bridge, it doesn't slowly go the way you see in the movies. No, it just goes bang and it's gone. So you, you have no chance of surviving that. 
And, I mean, they do not want to be having to do, you know, deep water rescues uh, if you've gone and done something dumb like being right down by the water. So I'm just encouraging people to stand back uh, or, you know, check out the news channels and and we'll show you what's going on. You know, kind of leads me to ask, I uh, saw a video of you uh, at York and you're standing on the river bank. Uh, How was it that you had a chance to actually bypass the police and get on there? Were they at one point telling you to get out of there? Well, yeah, if, if they tell me to go there, I'm out. I mean, there's no question about it. I'm out. I, I absolutely follow what, they are, uh, what they're going to say. But there actually weren't any police here. And where I was standing was actually pretty safe. It may look uh, dangerous, but I'm actually further away from the water than you might, might think. Uh, and I knew that on either side of there, even if I had stumbled and fallen in, it was only about a foot deep and not we're, we're moving very fast. In the main flow, however, I mean, it is moving very, very swiftly here in York. Can you, from a meteorological standpoint, Mark, uh, our guest, by the way, joining us here on CHML, is the storm hunter from the Weather Network, Mark Robinson. Mark, can you explain basically what happened? I mean, we've all heard about the ice and the thawing and what have you, but did this thing come up relatively quickly? Well, I mean, we had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen. I mean, we've been watching our computer models for, for quite a while, so we had a pretty good idea that it was going to get quite warm, and when we have that very warm air, very moist air sort of combined with the cold air from the north and that, that storm front was just sort of sitting right on top of uh, southern Ontario. Combined together, you get tremendous amounts of water on the watershed. And then as it begins to make its way down through the watershed and into the rivers, uh, all that uh, ice begins to break up. Now, this is earlier than we normally have this happen. So we had this combination of the melting snowpack, which hasn't had a really good chance to slowly melt. It just sort of melted all at once. I combine that with all this ice coming down, all the debris, you get these ice jams, and things can happen in very unexpected ways. And that's what's been happening with this thing all the way down. But uh, the uh, Grand River Conservation Area has been really working hard. I've been really pleased with what they've had uh, and what they've been saying and, and how they've managed to sort of let everybody know what's going on as we go downstream. Just keep in mind that uh, the high water mark in Brantford is not happening at the same hot time as the high water mark down in, say, Cayuga. So you really have to watch this thing as it goes. We have been uh, told, I guess, that uh, they are expecting that the things will crest sometime today and then maybe subside a little bit tonight. Is that your sense, or is the um, worst still yet to come? Well, keep in mind, I'm not an expert on on stream flow, uh, but what I can tell you guys, a meteorologist and part of the Weather Network, is that we've seen the the rain stop, so we're not seeing a a major amount of rain continuing to fall in the watershed. So from that point of view, yes, I mean, we're sort of seeing the worst of the rain has already passed by, uh, but just keep in mind that uh, there's a delayed reaction. You know, just because the rain has stopped doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the river is going to just now drop uh, all the way down. depends on where you are in the river. But again, as I said, I'm not an expert in that. But, uh, I mean, my fingers are crossed that this is the worst that uh, we're going to see. One of the things that we should mention, Mark, before you go, one of the uh, videos that you put on your Twitter feed as you were talking to Brenda and Paul, they live right beside the river. Uh, They had a smile on their face, but I wonder, is, is that just nervousness? Because obviously they don't know what's going on with their home. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, what they were telling me was that they said, you know, we've seen this before. This happens. This is where we live. We, you know, we expect that this river is going to flood uh, from time to time. Uh, one thing they were saying was that this is one of the worst they'd seen. And I think that's what made them uh, really nervous was what they were sort of saying. Yeah, is it good to sort of 
uh, you know, prepare for the worst, uh, but sort of hope for the best. And I think that's what they're doing. And I think they're going to be okay. And I'm going to go check on them again uh, in the next little while just to, just to make sure that they're okay because I want to make I – I do not want to come down there and see their house, uh, you know, washed away. Last thing uh, I bring up, Mark, is, yes, we've, we've seen the pictures that you've shot and the other videos of the, uh, the rushing water. And people should probably keep in mind this is February, so the water that, that's around – and I'm not being flippant here – that water is very cold. That probably doesn't help the situation. No, I mean, I've jumped in extremely cold water, and there's this reaction your body has. When you hit the water, you just go, and you just breathe in real hard, and that can be very dangerous because you hit the water, and you almost have no voluntary control to stop that. So if you end up in the water, uh, that's, what you're, you know, that's the first thing your body does. The second thing your body does is lock up, and you've got about, in that kind of water, you've got minutes at the most, for survival so this is why i keep saying to people stay back from the water you know you do not want to go in there because you may think you can swim in some of these areas uh but even you know you hit that water with that extraordinary cold you're in real trouble a lot faster than you think mark robinson from the weather network uh, the storm hunter i know it's been a busy day for you hope uh, you get back and get out of there safely thank you for the update and hopefully the next time we talk we'll talk about uh something else not qu- uh, anything quite as serious as this thanks for the time much appreciated no problem my my pleasure you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 chml Everybody gets excited when the Olympics come. Everybody gets excited uh, when they watch the athletes, and it happens in the summertime too. But I, my sense is people watch, and then they kind of it, the interest kind of goes uh, off the rails a little bit. And you know, there's always room for more people to watch after they get excited about the Olympics. And we're so pleased to talk about an event that's coming up. It's still a ways away, but. You should know about it. It's called Track in the Six, and joining us is the Chief Operating Officer of Track in the Six, Matthew Gente. Matthew, first of all, thank you for joining us. So let's let's talk off the top about uh, Track in the Six. Let's let's talk about the concept and and how all this came about. Yeah, so um, Track and Field in the Six. It's actually it's the uh, the NACAC Championship. So NACAC is actually uh, thirty one countries um, from North America, South America, and the Caribbean. So really, essentially, it's uh, when it comes to especially the sprinting events and a lot of the track and field events, it's some of the some of the best athletes. So you're talking about the Jamaicans, Bahamians, Barbados, uh, Canada, U.S. Obviously, so it's essentially uh, we're you know bringing together some of the uh, the best best athletes from from the region to uh, to compete on uh, in Toronto, uh, which is uh, it's going to be awesome. The last time we had track like this in Toronto was the Festival of Excellence when uh, Usain Bolt actually ran at. Uh, University Stadium there at uh, University of Toronto. So how did all this come about? You talked about that this is a championship event, Correct, but, yeah. but, but how did this come about that you wanted to put this event in Toronto? Yeah, so actually, so uh, we're obviously one of the NACAC member federations and, and Canada known, uh, not just in track and field, but in a lot of sports. Canada is known for hosting world-class events, uh, uh, whether it's speed skating, hurling, track and field, uh, World Juniors Hockey, whatever it may be. So uh, this is actually an event. It's going to be the third edition. Um, and moving forward, actually, this event will be a direct qualifier for the Olympic Games. So uh, the NACAC, Tanzaldade, uh, the federations actually came to us and asked us to host this um, because the uh, the event, uh, the first two editions weren't 
probably up to par. So they're kind of looking to us to uh, raise the bar and, uh, and and kind of bring this event to uh, where it needs to be. So, um, so they go yeah. ahead, go ahead. No, no I was just gonna, so the, yeah, so they came they came to us. Uh, and asked us to uh, to host it. Now, the next part of this is, of course, there's uh, a lot of parts that are involved in putting an event like this together, but they come to you, they want to do the event. Now you and Athletics Canada and everybody else, you have to kind of sit down and map out the plan. How difficult was it, or was it, to get corporate sponsorship involved in something like this? Because that's a key component in virtually every sporting event, no matter what it is. 100%. And... Um, you know, obviously corporate sponsorship, especially at the Olympic level, I, I heard uh, in, in, uh, when you were kind of keying this up in terms of, uh, you know, people watch the Olympics every four years or every two years if you go summer and winter. And, and after that, it's kind of forgotten. And, and that's absolutely true. And that's an ongoing battle. And obviously that has an impact on uh, attracting corporate dollars. Um, so first and foremost, we've got the support of the federal government, uh, the provincial government, and actually the city of Toronto are on board supporting this event. So that essentially puts us in a pretty solid situation from, you know, being able to do all the things that we need to do. And uh, we've got a few corporate partners that we're kind of uh, recording right now to uh, help us help us take this thing over the top. Um, but the good news is, is with those uh, different levels of provincial funding, uh, as I mentioned, federal, provincial, municipal, uh, we're in a pretty good situation to put on uh, a really good event uh, and attract me. And, uh, you know, Corporate Canada will obviously just uh, help us uh, put the cherry on top of this thing. Now, one of the nice things uh, if from an athletic standpoint is I understand that there's a minimum prize purse that you're offering for the top three finishers in every event. And we can talk about the events in a few minutes. But, but that kind of, if you will, kind of sweetens the pot as well for athletes, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, not just the Canadian athletes, but some of the athletes from, from the countries I was mentioning earlier. Uh, this is the first time that prize money has been offered at a championship event like this. Um, so, uh, you know, that's part of what we're doing in terms of raising the bar, uh, on putting on a world-class competition. Um, but from a Canadian perspective, uh, you know, Andre de Grasse is, 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 you know, already got this thing circle on his calendar, world, uh, world and Olympic champion, Derek Drew. And so our Canadian team, we're going to be fielding our A team. Um, we've already heard from the United States. They're going to be fielding their top team. A lot of the countries are really excited about this, uh, you know, whether it's the, uh, uh, the prize money or uh, just kind of some of the other things that we've put in place. Um, so we're going to be expecting the, the very best athletes from these various countries. Uh, so that's that's going to put on uh, one great show for sure for Torontonians. Before we uh, take the break, you talk about the countries. I know that there's um, NACAC is comprised of 31 countries. Will all the 31 countries be involved in this event in Toronto in August? Yeah, they will be, yeah. The, the only ones that are a little bit touch and go is Obviously, some of these countries are the ones that were uh, fairly uh, hit fairly hard by some of the some of the hurricanes and the storms in uh, in the in the fall. Um, but there's been a lot of support for those countries to kind of get back up on their feet, uh, and, and we hope that uh, this actually this event has been uh, helping, especially their track and field programs, giving them something to strive for this year, uh, and the support of some of the other countries to ensure that they can field teams and and have the the resources to uh, to come here. So yes, we do expect all 31 countries competing in Toronto. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Matthew, let's talk about some of the, um, uh, we mentioned the countries, and some, of course, won't be here, but but you're talking the U.S., you're talking Canada, you're talking Jamaica, um, some of the other uh, major track and field countries in Central America uh, will be showing up for this event, correct? 
Absolutely, yeah. Cuba, Dominican Republic, uh, Barbados, Bahamas, all very strong uh, athletics programs on some of the best athletes in the world. Now let's talk about some of the events. It's uh, an actual three-day thing. It starts on August 10th, and then Saturday, August 11th, and then Sunday, August 12th. It's going to be held at uh, the uh, Varsity Stadium in Toronto, which of course is known for for track and field, the gorgeous facility right downtown. But this isn't just track. There's a lot of field events too, aren't there? Yep, it's it's track and field. So we've got a full full slate of events, 40 events happening, uh, obviously on the track, uh, highlighted by uh, Andre de Grasse and the He'll be running the men's and men's uh, 100 meters and 200 meters. He'll be part of our relay program. Uh, in the field events, we've got uh, I mentioned him earlier, Derek Druin. He's the reigning Olympic champion in the high jump. Uh, Alicia Newman's from the Toronto area, London. She trains in Toronto on a daily basis. She's a Canadian record holder in the pole vault, was a finalist at the last World Championships. Uh, Brittany Crew in the shot put. Um, so we've got, as I was mentioning earlier, we've got our full slate of uh, our top Canadian athletes. Uh, you know, a lot of the folks, uh, you know, when you're watching Rio, they're going to be competing in Toronto at uh, at a bit more of a bargain than uh, flying to uh, wherever the Olympics are and paying those prices. So, And the nice thing when people hear about uh, track, especially in the 100-meter final, and by the way, if people are wondering, it's uh, Saturday, August 11th at 5.50 is when the men's 100-meter final, so you're talking about Andre de Grasse, and I would suspect that there will be one or two Jamaicans in that uh, in that race, I would suspect. Fair, fair uh, statement for that? Yeah, fair statement, uh, and I think we look to our neighbors to the south. Uh, uh, there's a, a few young men, including Christian Coleman, who just broke the world indoor, uh, the world record in the uh, indoor 60 meters uh, just last weekend, uh, running 6-4 low. Uh, uh, Trevon Bromel, who was actually Andre DeGrasse's teammate at USC, uh, who was injured last year. So, um, And, uh, you know, we've heard rumblings that uh, Justin Gatlin could be part of the mix as well, obviously, uh uh, he's a bit of a, a bit of a checkered past, but is obviously a name that people recognize, and, and he's obviously still one of the fastest men in the world. Um, so, you know, to get the chance to watch some of these athletes compete in Toronto um, at, 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 at kind of those prices and to be that close and intimate with them will be a pretty special opportunity, not unlike what uh, Toronto saw with the Pan Am Games in 2015 when it came to track and field. Well, you mentioned prices, and uh, now it's time to talk about prices. I understand that, uh, as you mentioned, there are the prices are affordable and a lot cheaper as you say than going down to watch somebody in Rio. yeah yeah absolutely uh tickets start at uh 30 uh kids are free so uh that's always nice makes a nice uh nice economical evening for uh for families uh lots of fan friendly and family stuff happening as well during the meet that's planned um and and we've actually got a pretty cool thing happening on june 12th at nathan phillips square um we've got a portable track surface that athletics canada essentially has in partnership with one of our partners. And uh, at Nathan Phillips Square, we'll be putting out uh, the pole vault runway, the high jump apron, and the, and the sprint straight. And we're going to have uh, Andre de Grasse, Derek Druin, and Alicia Newman putting on an exhibition for, uh, for the folks at, down at Nathan Phillips Square. Uh, it's going to serve as our big, uh, big promotion kind of uh, a couple of months out from the event. So we're pretty excited about that uh, as well. And, and that's obviously uh, free for anyone to come out and watch. That's a that's that sounds like a lot of fun because I know there's a lot of us that have watched and think, could we take a pole and run down the runway and you know jump and no the pro- probably not. Well, well I'm going to tell you probably not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, I mean uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, impressive when you see it. I mean the uh, the world record for the uh, 
for the high jump, for example, uh, we've done this at events where we kind of set the bar at the world record and let people go take a picture underneath it. And, uh, you know, I'm not the tallest guy in the world, but, uh, you know, you stand under that bar and you're on your tippy toes and you still can't reach the bar and you go, they're jumping over this. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Now, one of the things I know as well, this is uh, so cool because this is an event. You get people involved in sports and you get kids in schools and what have you involved. But you also, apparently, you're having a coaching conference accessible to all track and field coaches in Canada. How cool is that? Yeah, that was a big part of us wanting to host this. As you mentioned, uh, you know, these major international events, and we've hosted them in the past, and it's great to have a, a wonderful competition and have people buy tickets and come out and have a good time and kind of go home and go, wow, that was awesome. But it's even better if we can leave a legacy. Um, and part of the legacy is uh, having lots of youth programming along with this. And, you know, we want to get the kids uh, out and active. And, and the Nathan Phillips Square activation is part of that. But we're also doing a coach conference the week of the event where essentially uh, we're, we're going to make it accessible to any track and field uh, coach in Canada. So we're still working out the details. Obviously, uh, if we get uh, 2,000 coaches that want to come out, we, uh, we don't, I don't think we can find a room big enough for that. Um, but uh, we're uh, we're working on a few things and, and, and making some of this stuff available digitally, uh, webcasting it as well. So essentially any coach in Canada that wants to participate and uh, learn from some of the top coaches from around the world, not just some of Canada's top coaches, will have the opportunity to do that. Now, uh, I, I know that in the planning there was a talk about a street fest. Is that the thing you talked about at Nathan Phillips Ex- Square? or exa- it- That's exactly okay. it. Yeah, that's, that's the street festival. Yeah, so that's... Uh, the, down Nathan Phillips, uh, Nathan Phillips Square on June 12th. So if people wanted to get tickets or more information, I know they can go to athletics.ca slash Toronto 18, and they can get early bird pricing and, and what have you. Um, let's talk about those uh, dates again for people that are just joining us. Matthew, let's talk about those dates when when this big event is happening again. Yeah, August, uh, August 10th to 12th. Uh, Varsity Stadium, which is getting a brand new track uh, surface actually for this event. So we expect some really fast times. And uh, yeah, all uh, event information, including ticketing uh, and any information in terms of scheduling and what athletes uh, will be there is all available at athletics.ca slash Toronto 2018. As a runner who is uh, the... uh Let's put it this way: on the other, uh, the bad side of sixty. I'm looking at this schedule, and I see, for example, the men's 800 Masters final. Um, what do you consider the Masters category age group? I, I'm just wondering here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. that's actually in partnership with the Canadian Masters Association. Right. We're putting on some exhibition events. So, <laughs> um, a Masters is uh, technically uh, anybody over 30, which is really. Uh, sad to say, I'm I'm older than thirty. <laughs> That's you, broad. You know, yeah, you're like oh, I'm a masters now, but yes, internationally <laughs> recognized. Uh, they go by five uh, five age groups per year, and it, it does start at thirty now. Um, but typically, masters uh, people think of kind of forty and over. But yes, officially, it is thirty and up. Is there a seniors tour though? I'm I'm just wondering. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't get a lot of seniors that want to run down the track and pull hamstrings. So it's not, not the most popular thing in the world. Oh, perfect. All right, we'll stay in touch on this. Uh, track in the Six coming up in Toronto, Chief Operating Officer Matthew Gengis. Thank you very much for the time, and we'll look forward to staying in touch and, uh, and uh, chatting a lot more as this event gets closer. Thank you for the time. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks a lot. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. It all started with this. These men are about evenly matched. That's because the average 30-year-old Canadian is in about the same physical shape as the average 60-year-old Swede. Run, walk, cycle. Let's get Canada moving again. And from that seed came this gem. Body break. 
with Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. And we are so, not too many Canadians don't know who our guests are, so we want to welcome to the program our health and wellness experts, the aforementioned Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. But first, more importantly, we want to say say hi to Joanne first, because usually it's Hal and Joanne. Joanne, in this case, you're off first. So, such a pleasure to talk to you. How are you? The same. I'm doing really well, thank you. So, um... You um, are been very busy uh, doing a lot of things involving uh, wellness, and especially when it comes to uh, doing things like uh, helping out, I don't want to say seniors, but helping people over the age of 50. Uh, You have a big thing coming up in Toronto on March 5th, and we'll get Helen here in just a sec. Talk about the wellness cue and exactly what that is and what you'll be helping people with. Well, the, the actual event at the Central YMCA in Toronto is taking place on uh, Monday, March the 9th, and uh, March the 5th, and it's really just an um, uh, interactive morning full of uh, discussion and some fitness tips and really talking about the wellness cue, which is really five key areas. We, you know, we focus in on the healthy habits, which is, you know, you're eating healthy, moving your body, getting your sleep, and dealing with your, you know, health-related issues to be as well as possible. But also, we, we want to really touch on the brain and, and really help keep it a, you know, tip-top shape. And, you know, you can do that by doing simple uh, puzzles or or challenges on your on your uh, your phone. Um, the other thing is, um, so, so often as we get older, you know, how, how 61 and I'm, uh, he's 62 and I'm turning 60 this year. And so often we think about, we hear about what you can't do. And we want everyone to turn that around and have a you can attitude. And it's really, you know, just that positive attitude that will give you the ability to be successful in whatever you want to do. We have to keep challenging ourselves as we get older. And then the, um, the fourth year, so the key to the wellness cue is um, to help prevent and protect ourselves. And, you know, uh, it all comes down to pre- uh, prevention. You know, we've been talking about it for 30 years, about, you know, getting out there, being active. But also it's about doing regular checkups and getting those regular tests. And, you know, they, there's um, also we have to fight off diseases uh, and viruses um, because our immune system is a little bit more prone as we get older. And that's where it's important to get vaccinated against shingles or flu and to really talk to your doctor about that when you go for your, your annual, annual checkup. And then the whole thing comes down to you have to plan it and then track your progress in order to be successful. So it's a, um, you know, a, a, we're we're very excited to be talking about it, and um, we hope a lot of people come out and uh, join us on March the fifth. Our guest is Joanne McLeod, now joined by uh, the other half of the Body Break folk, Hal Johnson. Hal, how are you, sir? Great. How are you? Excellent. So Joanne just brought up a very interesting point because Joanne said that she's turning 60. You're 62, and I make no bones about it that I'm 63 years old. I've been a runner for 30-some-odd years, but i got to ask you, Hal, or, or, or Joanne, why is it that all of a sudden... <laughs> Maybe somebody can explain when you think that you can do what you could 20 years ago and I'm rehabbing a knee injury, the back of the knee hurts, and it's like 
why do we have to hurt so much as we get older? I, it's so frustrating. Well, you know, it's funny because that's an external thing that we feel, and we all feel it. I mean, I can't play uh, like the other. I remember um, I played two, hockey for two hours, and then I went out for about a 40-kilometer bike ride. And I got back, and I said, I can't. I'm exhausted. I can't do that. And, you know, it's, it's, it is funny how our body just reacts differently and we but it's great that you and and others have that mindset of of you know going out there and pushing yourself because that's how you get stronger but you know and and joanne mentioned about the you know about the immune system and that's one of the things that we don't we don't recognize we you know you've recognized physically that you know i'm i can't do what i could do before and I'm, i'm still giving it my my best shot well, our immune system is the same way, and our immune system, as we get older, is 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 not as strong as it was when we were, you know, 20 years old. Um, and so that's why, you know, it's all about, you know, what we talk about is about that preventative medicine, um, getting your shots. Uh, you know, it's it's things like you know taking your blood pressure medication. It's all of the things that we can do uh, to be our our own doctor in a sense, our own advocate, more of an advocate for our own health. Um, and Joanne uh, mentioned about uh, about shingles, and and I had a, a good friend of mine whose uh, wife uh, was 53, and she got shingles, and I saw it was about three years ago, and immediately, and she was very healthy, she was a runner, she was in great shape, ate really well, um, and and I couldn't believe how debilitating that particular illness was, and she just. It was she was off work for six months. Um, she was in immense pain, um, and I said, you know, I'm going and getting a, sh- a shingle shot. And I was, uh, and uh, I, I went and got my, um, my shot, you know, shortly thereafter because it really dawned on me. In, in all elements of of our life, we have to look at preventative ma- uh, maintenance, and that is, you know, get a colonoscopy, you know. <laughs> Check your blood pressure every month, all of the, or every every week. I uh, having hypertension. I uh, I check my blood pressure three or four times a week. So. It's about all about preventative medicine. You know, you uh, actually brought up a very interesting point, Hal, when you talk about somebody, and of course, we've seen you on the body break stuff for years, but you mentioned, and I guess this is an age thing, and we can't fight aging, unfortunately, but you talk about hypertension. People would look at you and think there's somebody that you would not think would have a, an issue with blood pressure. Well, I, I was discovered with hypertension when I was, uh, um, uh, I was at the University of Colorado and I was playing baseball, and they uh, they checked my blood pressure, and it was through the roof. And they couldn't believe the reason. And I had a body fat at the time of about twelve percent, twelve thirteen percent. I was in, you know, really my best shape of my life, and and yet they couldn't figure out why. And and so ever since then, I've, you know, I, I've been very attuned to that. I mean, I eat right, all of those things, very little salt. Um, but so it's really about that, um, you know, taking care of yourself um, in all elements and aspects of your life. Um, and as I say, not, not that we're our own physician, but we're certainly our own health advocate. And if, if you don't uh, stick up for your own health, um, nobody else will. And, and so that, that goes with, um, you know, it's, it's funny because even with, um, you know, getting the flu shot every year, you know, some people just, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Like it just kind of boggles your mind. Why wouldn't you go ahead and and get into preventative medicine mode? And, and that's really what uh, uh, one of the elements and aspects that we're going to talk about 
uh, on March 5th. Joanne, let's uh, bring something that you touched upon on on the top. By the way, our guests are Hal Johnson and Joanne McLeod. Of course, you've known them for, for years on Body Break. When you talk about uh, physical wellness and what have you, um, in your travels and discussions with people, and of course, uh, I've done a lot of work on uh, uh, mental wellness shows on this station, a lot of uh, charity work as well, is the issue of anxiety, depression, what have you, in your uh, circle of friends and traveling and talking to people, is that now a bigger issue than maybe people think it is? Well, I think we're hearing about it more, and people are a little bit more open to talk about depression or, or having anxiety. And I think it, you know, it also it, it comes back to trying to uh, be in control, um, look for things in your life that challenge you but also give you rewards. You know, we often talk about habits so that we we get in the habit so we don't have to think about what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to to be a little uh, anxious um, because that's like that fight or flight uh, mechanism in our body that, you know, kind of heightens the sense and, and makes us uh, achieve more and, and be sometimes a little bit more alert or more challenged. But I think overall, you know, the, we we've come to realize and talk with people that if you if you lead a, as healthy a lifestyle as possible, you re, you help to reduce the chances of depression or, or mental illness if it is not in terms you know of uh, something that is hereditary. You know, you think of you know your eating habits. If people are eating too much sugar. That plays havoc with their their bodies and their their digestive system, their liver, their their heart. If they're not exercising, everything slows down. The the mind, the body, the digestive system, the lymphatic system, everything just slows right down. And I I know when our daughter was quite young, and she would sit and watch television, and I would tell her just to. It was like, I, I didn't want to tell her, you know, after an hour, stop watching. I just said, be mindful of what it's doing to your, your mind and your body the longer you watch television. And she came to her own conclusion. She went, yeah, like, I don't, I, I don't want to work out. I don't want to do anything the longer I sit there. So it's interesting how there are things that we can do um, as well. Uh, to be uh, healthier mentally and physically if we're just more mindful of our, our of our habits during the day. Interesting. Hal, I uh, wanted to ask this, you know, I want to get into the age thing again, but I'm, I'm slowly convincing myself that my metabolism isn't what it was when I was 20 or 30 years ago, that, you know, I'm, I, I still eat healthy. Yes, we still have the cheat meals on, on occasion, but but kind of talk about from a physiological standpoint, uh, when people turn 50, 55, 60, kind of what happens to them? Uh, is it inevitable that things will change? Well, it's not inevitable, and it's really a simple analogy like this, is that when you were 20, you were, you were an eight-cylinder car. Um, you, uh, you, burned a, you burned it up because you, you burned that gasoline up you know, really uh, easily when you were, you were uh, when you were younger, because your muscle tissue was you had more muscle tissue. As you, as we age, we lose 
uh, muscle tissue. We, we can lose muscle tissue. We have to fight it. I mean, that means doing activities that are going to strengthen your muscles. And so as your muscles get smaller, those are the engines that are your metabolism. So the more muscle tissue that you have, the bigger the engine that you have. So as you and the more, you know, the more gas you're going to burn. So it's really that, really it's in a sense that simple. Um, so if you want to keep that same metabolism, lifting weights uh, is a is a great way to to keep that metab- metabolism burning and and uh, and uh, as as you were when you were 20 and 25. But every day is a fight. Like in that in that sense, you have to fight it. Like you have to, you got to be determined and go after it. Um, and and that's where, you know, it's uh, Joanne talked a little bit about about habits, and it was like that's where, you know, the, there's the in creating those habits. It's not like oh, I have to go out and work out today. You have to make it part of your lifestyle. Um, and if it's not part of your lifestyle, you're not going to be able to continue it for the rest of your life. Before we uh, wrap up, we do want to touch on the whole body break story. Uh, but, you know, I, what the both of you did, was it fair to say, looking back now, when, uh, Joanne, you uh, talked about uh, you were $6,000 in debt and you quit your job in October of 1988, was that a leap of faith for both of you, knowing that this is something that you really wanted to do and basically whatever happens, happens? It was a, a leap of faith, but for some reason we both had this, like it was like we just felt it was going to work we didn't know it was but we just felt so strongly and so passionately about what we were going to do that uh, I guess it's that uh, you can attitude came through and uh, if we had failed well we would have said well at least we gave it 110 percent well and also like on June 8th of 88 when we came up with the idea I had a plane ticket to catch to San Diego and I could have gone, got on that plane, and and I, I and I I decided not to. I said, you know what, I'm not going to get on that plane because if I don't get on that plane, I think that this idea that we have and we're all excited about is going to fade away. So I was going to be down in San Diego for two weeks. So I I scrapped that ticket. It was on Ward Air at the time, mm. um, and some people may remember that airline. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, uh, that we're gonna we're gonna do this, and within. Basically, two two and a half months. We had written scripts. We had um, uh, done everything, got, and then I took it around to forty-two different companies. Was turned down by everyone, um, but it was not deterred one bit. And then, then uh, we were told by TSN at the time that uh, because I'm black and Joanne's white, they wouldn't put it on the air. Um, but they still liked the idea of it. And if uh, if I would be changed as the host. Um, they would, uh, they'd love to have it on the air. And so that gave me the idea to go to someone who would think that me being black was a good thing. And, uh, because I think it's pretty good. So <laughs> who, who else would think it's pretty good? And I thought, well, the government and who does fitness for the government. So that's why at three 30 in the afternoon on that day, I picked up the phone and called participation. And so it was, uh, and then they gave us a great start and we were with them and did 65 episodes with participation. So, wow. And we did, we've done over 350 to this point. By the way, uh, the beauty of this program, Boeing Live, we just got uh, an email from somebody uh, who wants to hone in and actually has a question for something Joanne said about sugar. What would be a good substitute if somebody wanted to eliminate sugar, Joanne? That uh, that uh, listener just sent us uh, a quick email. 
Well, I think one of the things is that often we'll uh, want to snack on something sugary. Um, my suggestion is to grab a banana or, or even an a- apple. A piece of fruit has uh, often uh, uh, sugar. Well, it does have sugar in it, but it's natural sugar, and it will satisfy the craving. I think we're just kind of programmed into, you know, wanting chocolate, wanting, you know, candy, uh, that type of thing, but we just have to change our mindset and just, uh, you know, grab a piece of fruit. It, it's really refined sugar, and it's the hidden sugars that we really want to focus on, um, and that's that's what we would, you know, whether it be in a in your ketchup or your salad dressings or that hidden amounts of sugar, and um, and, and and things like orange juice. I mean, it has 24 grams of sugar in, in orange juice. So, you know, like in, in the liquid sugars, in that sense, you want to really um, cut down and eliminate as much as possible that sort of sugar in your diet, um, especially the hidden, what we call hidden ones, and and uh, that's what we would you know, strongly suggest. Our guests, uh, before we wrap up, Hal Johnson, Joanne McLeod, let's talk about again what you're presenting uh, for our listeners uh, in uh, the GTA. You're at the Central YMCA Auditorium on March 5th at 1030 uh, in Toronto, and you'll be making a, a presentation. And uh, Joanne, I think you touched upon it. You're, you're basically touching on a whole bunch of issues that have to do with wellness, correct? That's correct. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk all about you know your fitness, your wellness IQ, uh, your wellness cue, as we call it, and, and go through, especially, it's really designed uh, specifically if you're, you know, 50 plus and looking at uh, trying to think of, uh, you know, I want to get in shape, I want to be healthy, um, I want to, you know, really be proactive and preventative with get preventative medicine, and that's really what uh, um, what we're, we'll be talking about on March 5th. Hal Johnson, Joanne McLeod, congratulations on what you've done. I, I, as I mentioned off the top, I don't know if there's any Canadian who doesn't know who you are. You have done such a lot for health and wellness. And, and Hal, I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to keep going, albeit a little slower now. You know, I'm I'm kind of in the master's okay. category. I'm kind of in the master's category now, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> thanks to both of you. I appreciate it. Have yourself a great weekend. Well, and thank, thank you very you. much. And uh, until next time. Until next time. Keep it. And have, and have fun. We'll do that. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.